that some of you are uh, with us maybe for the first time. And, uh, and as far as like putting a, a service together, a baby family dedication service, uh, you know, there's a part of me that was like, you know, should we do, should we do like normal music that we do or should we like change it up? And we've changed it up a few times before. And um, I was thinking about it like during, as we kind of got started tonight, that, that uh, for those of you who are, are grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends of the family and stuff who are not a regular part of things, uh, maybe this will give you a picture of what these kids are hopefully going to grow up in. You know, singing these, these kinds of songs, being around these kinds of people. Uh, we love that God has given us a place to meet here in this, like in the Grace Baptist building, but we're, we're making plans to, to get into our own space at some point, so maybe this won't be the exact space they grow up in. Uh, but, but, you know, this is, a, this is a family thing for us. We use the term family a lot to talk about church, uh, that, that church is not something that you attend it's a, it's, a, it's a family that you're a part of, that God has taken a bunch of strangers and pulled us into covenant together, and we walk through our lives together. And it's not, we're not trying to replace the, like the blood relation family. We're just giving people another, another family like to walk next to. So some people have, the, have a, uh, like a family that they're born into, and they have a church family that, uh, that they're a part of, and they have all these people surrounded by folks that love them. And so if you are not a regular with us, I hope that you feel good about these little babies and these families and what they're a part of, because we love them, we know that you love them, and I'm just very glad to have those worlds kind of colliding uh, together for a few minutes. And, and I want to speak specifically to uh, parents in the room, not just the ones that are part of the dedication, but all parents. But before I do that, I want to say a word to the non-parents. Uh, I grew up in church, and you know I know a lot of you did too. And it was easy for me whenever the preacher had a like a demographically focused sermon. If I wasn't a part of that demographic, it made me just not really care a whole lot about what he was saying. Um, but if you are not a parent, you uh, like this applies to you as well because this is really really talking about all the adults in a child's life. And so I'm not a parent, but I am an uncle. And so this pertains to me as an uncle. I also I have friends who have kids. And so it makes me, as a friend to the parents, it makes me invested as well. I'm a covenant member of this church. And so I've made promises to these kids and their parents. So I'm invested at that level too. There are all kinds of ways where non-parents this applies to. So even though all of my specific addressing will be to parents, just, just listen with a different set of ears if that's not you. Because you are a part of this as well. It's just going to be really taxing for me to try to like go back and forth a lot. Okay. So talking about parents, talking about parenting in Matthew 13, Jesus gives us this amazing gift of this, this parable. Now all of his words are gifts and all of the parables are gifts. I'm not saying this one is better than any of the other ones, but this one really helps us understand something that is so uh, applicable to all of our lives every single day, no matter where you are in life. Um, And so I want to talk about the parable of the sower as it applies to parenting, and uh, so parenting in, in every sense of the word, all the adults that are part of kids' lives. Let me, let's just read the, the, the text itself, starting in verse 1 of chapter 13. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, 
And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since, um, since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. Since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So uh, this is like a farmer, and he's and he's taking seed and he's just scattering it on like onto the ground, and that was a common method for planting in those days. And so he's saying, hey, whenever you're whenever you're you're like planting, and that's your method. Um, the, the condition of the soil has everything to do with the success of, of that seed taking root and growing into a plant. And so they're probably all sitting there and be like, yeah, we kind of know this. You know, it's kind of obvious, Jesus. And uh, so he tells them this parable, and they were probably respectful. And then he kind of, he kind of goes, has a little sidebar conversation. He circles back around, and he's like, okay, that wasn't just a random story. I'm, I'm trying to teach you something about life and about uh, the human heart, and, and I, I, I'm equipping you. To live a life that is fruitful. And so he explains it. In, starting in verse 18. It says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When any, anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself. But endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So, Jesus uses this to, to teach us something. In verse 19, he, he, he kind of assigns value to the different parts of the story. It says that the soil is, is the human heart, and not like the physical, like pumping blood heart. Like this is the, the seedbed of our emotions and thoughts, and like this is who you are. Um, and so that's the soil. The seed is the, is the word of the kingdom, and then the sower is like is the one who's tending to the tending to the the plant. Okay, so if you're thinking in terms of parenting, the like you have this flower bed, right? The soil, and sometimes sometimes we want to think of a, of of a child as like a plant. Like we have these plants here, like that each one is is like your child is like one plant. But really, it's it's good to think of it as like no, this is a whole flower bed. That's like your kid's life. And all that soil, that's their heart. And so what's being planted in there is, is what Jesus calls the word of the kingdom. And what does that mean? Well, Jesus, like more than anything else he talked about, uh, according to the scriptures, over and over and over again, his predominant theme was that the kingdom of God has come near in him. That he's always he's teaching about the kingdom, the word of the kingdom. He's inviting people into the in, into the kingdom. And here's a, here's here's the the shortest way to for me to explain what the kingdom of God is. In the Lord's prayer, it says, uh, "Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven." Jesus is saying that heaven and earth do not have to be separate anymore. 
that his will can be carried out here in this room and in our lives, uh, just like it is in heaven, that there is no separation, that because of his sacrifice for us, there is not a void anymore, that we are one with him. And so earth and heaven can have the same predominant like themes, and so when Jesus is, is teaching and he's uh, living his life and he's caring for people, he's saying, okay, in the kingdom of God, people should not be hungry, so we feed them. In the kingdom of God, people should not be thirsty, so we give them something to drink. In the kingdom of God, there should be no orphans, so we give them homes. In the kingdom of God, uh, those who cannot care for themselves should receive care, so we bring them in our homes or we go to them and we, we, we care for them. In the kingdom of God, uh, like we, we don't hanger, we don't hanger, hanger. Don't handle anger the way that, that the world around us does. Uh, we hand, we are like the peacemakers. We are in the in the kingdom of God. We are humble. We are not prideful. And so he's constantly contrasting the world that we're born into with this new world that he makes available to us in him. So the kingdom of God is not this future thing. It's not code word for heaven. It's not like this down the road thing. It's a here and now. Thing that, that Jesus is like, right now, his kingdom can come to you. His will can be done on earth, in your heart, in your mind, just like it is in heaven. There can be no difference between them. as is completely possible for you. You can be who you were meant to be your whole life. So, in Psalm 139, when you were intricately made, when God was forming you and he has this beautiful vision for you, it was not to live in the brokenness of our world. It was to live in the wholeness of his kingdom. And so as Jesus goes to all these people and all these towns and he's preaching, he's inviting them into this whole new way of life. So, so you have this flower bed that is your, your, your child's heart, is all this soil, and the word of the kingdom is being planted in there. Primarily, that happens at home. In a secondary sense, it happens at church. But they are receiving this truth about God. And, and so Jesus is like, hey, it's probably helpful for you to think of it in terms of soil. And here are these seeds that go into this soil. And you, moms and dads, and grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends, and every, the whole thing, all of us adults in a child's life, we are the ones. We are the tall people in their lives who see what they can't see, who know things that they don't know, who have a perspective that they don't have. And we're the ones tending to the soil. God uses us to plant the seeds, and he uses us to take care of the soil, and the condition of the soil is directly tied to the the success of the seed growing up into a plant and bearing fruit. So right away, Jesus didn't have to tell us anything else. And right there is like this really, like, okay, I can, I struggle to, to grasp deep theological things, but I can get dirt and a plant, you know? Okay, I can, I can run with that. But he explains some, some more. So let's, let's jump to the end. Because sometimes, you know, preachers, we get to roll in. Like Jesus ends with the good part. And sometimes like, we don't have time. At the end, it's all fine if you do it this right way. So I'm going to start with the good part. And the good part, if you look in verse 23, he says, As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. That that's the goal, parents. That's the goal, for your kids to hear the word and to understand, like to comprehend what is being planted in their hearts. What happens to them? It says, he indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, another 60, another 30. That that is where this plant grows up and begins to bear fruit. And the fruit, it looks like Jesus. It's, 
It's loving, it's, it's patient, it's kind. It's all the, all the things that we see in Jesus and we see in the, in the Bible that that's what you want to happen. And when, in order for that to be the case, they have to hear the word and they have to understand it. So where do they hear it? Well, they hear it at your house, primarily. They hear it when you, when you talk with them. They hear it when you pray with them. They hear it when you sit down with their little Jesus Storybook Bible and read it to them, and you're more amazed than they are at how awesome the Jesus Storybook Bible is. You know, like, but but they're they're hearing that, and they're hearing it in the way in the way that adults talk to each other. They're listening. You're driving down the road, and you think they're not listening. They're listening. You know, they're hearing all these things, and so what we want them hearing is we want them hearing the truth about the kingdom of God. We want that to just keep going in the soil. So that's why, that's why we don't need to think of it as your child as one plant. Your child is just this massive flower bed. And you're constantly planting seeds. And then hopefully, you bring them to church, and you know what? They're hearing this. Like, there's a consistency that's there. And we want to be there to help. We have these phenomenal lead teachers over there. We have, I mean, thank God for Miss Amanda, you know, who's over there right now with them. And, and she, she's teaching them. And our kids' community group is there. And the, the youth community group. And they're, they're a part of this service. And, and they're just constantly hearing all these things they may not be understanding at all. That's where parents come in. That you're there helping them interpret it. Good luck with that sometimes, right? And they're like, hey, I got a question about the Trinity, you know, and you're like, oh, me too? You know, like that's not really something that, that you can un- maybe explain to them all the time. But, but, but that's what we're going for is, is as these truths about the kingdom, as they go into their heart, you're wanting to help them understand it. In appropriate ways, you know, when you're when you're five years old, you can't really understand uh, some some of the some of these like big adult concepts, right? But when you're five, you can you can be like, okay, God wants us to share our things, so you teach them to share. And when they learn to share when they're five, because that's what the kingdom is like, what that means that when they're adults, you know what they're willing to do? They're willing to share their stuff. And so it begins here. That's where, the, that's where the, the word of the kingdom and all these, all these amazing things are happening. And so what you're going for is for them to hear the word and, for, and to understand it. In whatever capacity they can at that age, that's what you're trying to do. So that's, that's the goal. So knowing that that's the goal, Jesus says, okay, um, if you know anything about gardening, you know that you can't just throw seeds out there and every one of them grows into this thriving plant. So there are some things that are going to threaten the life of, of that seed of the word of the kingdom. And he, he, he gives us three different kinds. Uh, he talks about seed that falls on the path, some that falls on the rocky ground, and some that falls on the thorns. Look at verse 19. For the path, it says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. Okay, so they hear it, like it's, it's landing in the dirt, but he doesn't understand it, like it's, it's just laying on the top of the dirt. It says, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. And he, he, he talks about that's what birds do in nature. And, you know, I know, like, it talks about, uh, in the Bible, it compares, like, Satan's like a roaring lion, you know. I also love that Jesus is like, really, he's more like a dainty little bird, you know. And he comes in, and he's just, like, looking for whatever, and, and that seed lands on top, and when there is an understanding, he's just going to snatch it away like a dumb little bird. But doesn't that happen all the time? It happens to us as adults where you, something about the, the kingdom, it's like it lands in your life. And before you even have a chance to like process it and grab onto it, it's like it's gone. 
we're distracted away from it. Something else you know, comes along or whatever. We're like, I'll get to that later, and then we don't go back to it later. And it's easy sometimes for that to be the case, and it's even more the way for your children. So helping your kids understand the things that are planted in their hearts, that's key to them like, produ- like producing fruit as adults, but it's also how you keep the enemy away from them. What a privilege that is, moms and dads. Like You get to keep the little, the little bird known as Satan away from their hearts by just helping them understand more deeply the things that are planted in them. And so how do you do that? Well, glad you asked. Uh, you got to ask them some questions, you know. Now granted, when they're, you know, they're six months old, not a lot of questions being asked. But you're preparing, like at some point, they're, they're going to move up into the, like into our like child care thing. They're going to move into the Samoa's classes. And uh, you're going to start reading to them and praying with them. And they're, you're going to watch their understanding start to like grow, little by little by little by little. And so you get to the point where you're asking them questions. What did y'all talk about tonight in, uh, in Miss Amanda's class? What did y'all talk about in kids' group? What did y'all talk about in, in youth tonight? You're asking them questions. You sit, down, you sit down with them with the Bible, and you read a story to them, and you're like, hey, so what do you think about that? Do you have any questions about what we just read? They start to... They start to use terms they maybe they may not really understand, you know, because you know they try to talk like grown ups. And she's like, "Hey, you keep you keep saying that you keep saying that word. Um, you keep talking about like worship. Do you know what worship means? Do you ask them? You ask them questions. When they when they are when they get to a certain age, and this is like a this is a thing we've we we have looked into this. We've researched this. There's good reason why." At a certain age, we start to bring them into this service with us, and sometimes adults get like like parents get nervous, you know, when they when their when their child is like three, they're like, man, they're only like two years away from them coming in the service, and I don't know what to do. And it's like there's a big difference between a three year old and a five year old, um, and you know they have some kindergarten behind them and stuff like that. But but so they come into the service, and something that we do, and we'll do this in a few minutes, is like taking communion as a part of how we respond to what God's doing. And you know what they're going to want to do? They're going to want, to, they're going to want the bread and the juice. They're going to want it. And you as a parent are going to be like, I don't know, because that's like a big deal, you know? And So you just, when like parents ask me about it, I'm like, well, well what do y'all's conversations sound like? Are you asking them questions? And like, do you, are they giving you appropriate answers, you know? Your kid is seven. Are they answering the way the seven-year-old should answer about communion? Like, is that a good, you know, is that fine? Like, do you expect them to have a 35-year-old understanding of communion? Like, it's a mystery. We ain't never going to get there completely. So you're just asking them questions. You're helping them understand things. And what that requires, that requires mom and dad having an understanding of some things. And so as parents, you're doing your own homework. You're, you're receiving the word of the kingdom, and you're seeking to understand it so that when your child starts to ask you questions or you start to ask them questions in those dialogues, you're like, yeah, no, let's, let's, talk, about, let's talk about the Lord's Supper and what that means. You know, we watched a baptism tonight. Let's talk about what that means. Um, you know, Josh kept saying this, this, this word or this term, or we talked about Jesus doing this tonight, and and like you know, so you start to have those dialogues. So the more more understanding you have as parents, the better you're going to be able to answer some of their questions. But intentionally, like pressing them to answer your questions is important, and you can't be afraid to seek counsel. There have to be times where you're like, okay. 
Um, my kid has asked me like a billion questions about theology, and uh, you know, like I just, I just really need like to sit down and kind of wrap my, my arms around it. I, I love getting to do that. I love it when, when people are like, can we talk to you, can we mom and dad talk to you about this as our pastor so that we can be better equipped to have conversations with our young one who's asking uh, just a trillion questions a day. Those are the kinds of things that we want to do together. And we don't want the enemy to come in and to like snatch away those things that are being planted just because of a lack of understanding. We are the sowers. You and I are the sowers. So when the seed falls into their hearts, we're the ones that like take our finger and mash it down low to where the bird can't get to it. That's what we're doing. That's what your rides home from church can be. That's what your rides to church can be. Same thing with community group. Same thing when you pray with them at night or in the mornings or as you're driving along, you're listening to music. Whatever that needs to look like, helping them understand that. Jesus is hooking you up with how to do this well. That's the first thing, the seed that falls along the path. Second thing, verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Now, a lot of us have experienced this in our own lives. Like, did you ever, any of you ever go, you don't have to raise your hand, you ever go to youth camp, you know, and you get jacked. Like, you are, you love Jesus, you love people, you're going to be a missionary or a pastor, or you're going to go, you're going to do something that in your mind is like, elevated, big-time kingdom stuff. Um, like, you're just on that high, right? And you come back, and for about a week, it's like, it's kind of there, but it's tapering. And then you're like, just kind of, it's kind of back to the way it was, because camp isn't real life. Missionaries and pastors are not really exalted above others in the kingdom, you know? Like, that's not really how it works. That's kind of what he's talking about. It's like, yeah, like this, it springs up in you and you're like, yes, this is amazing, but there's no, there's no roots at the bottom of that plant driving down into that soil. And so then things get difficult. Like in the, in the parable itself, um, it's talking about like uh, the, because it has no depth, when the sun rose, they were scorched. You've had plants do that before. You're like, oh, look, it's blooming. And the sun's like, Nope. And that's what life does to us sometimes, because things get difficult, and you're like, wait a minute, I, I thought that God was going to make my life easier. You know, like, I thought following him, like being in his kingdom, everything's going to be awesome all the time. And, and your children are going to experience some of that. Like They're, they're going to get to the point where life is going to scorch them, and they're not going to have the roots to be able to survive it on their own. Now, roots take time to develop, takes a lot of patience, takes a lot of intentionality. Tribulation and persecution make you hardened and they want, make you want to quit. So you have to, help, you have to help your kids learn how to endure. That's probably one of the less fun things about parenting, I would imagine. Is there are times when life just scorches you, and as a parent you want to fix it, but all you can really do is hold them, you know. And you have to say, yeah, you know, I'm sorry that happened. That's a part of, of that, the fact that we're these kingdom people, but we live in this broken world, is that like, it just, we get scorched sometimes. And even as adults, sometimes you're like, do I have the, am, am I rooted enough 
to even make it through some of the things that we're dealing with. And we're grown-ups. So with children, you have to teach them how to endure. And a part of that is, is making them a part of your family's endurance. You know, like in, in appropriate ways, as your family is going through different things, you, you, you find like, okay, what's, how can an eight-year-old understand what we're, like, we're, we're facing a big decision, and we're asking God for guidance in this. How do you bring them in without making them afraid? You know, like you want them to be confident, but you're like, no, this is, this is how we deal with, with questions. This is how we deal with big decisions. This is what happens. That if, if, if in your home, if, if, if the, one of the parents loses their job, you know, like how do you talk to your kids about that? Do you shelter them to where they never have to deal with anything difficult? Well, no, that's not teaching them anything. You, you may want to isolate your kids from everything broken in our world, but it doesn't work. So you're like, okay, they need to experience it. They don't need to feel the full brunt of it because you're there to protect them. But, but how, do you, how do you include them to the point where they're like, no, that's a, that's a part of what happens, you know? Like sometimes people are mean to us. Sometimes bad things happen to us. There are consequences for our actions. And sometimes we pay the price for other people's actions. And that's just a normal thing. But what do you do when you're the one that's hurting? You know? Your kids can start to learn that at very young ages. It's possible for you to bring them in and let them experience that in appropriate ways. You know, you don't want to, like I said, you want to protect them from it. But you can't shield them from it completely. Because that's a part of how they develop roots. And sometimes I'll reference when I'm preaching, you know, that hopefully, like some of our kids, as they grow up, that they'll be able to work hard and do bad on a test, and it doesn't wreck their whole identity, because their identity is firm. They're disappointed, they're frustrated, but it doesn't just wreck them, you know. That one day, one of these precious little girls is going to have some boyfriend who's going to break up with her, and it's going to be, she's going to be sad about it. But you will she be sad or will she be destroyed? Well, hopefully her identity, her roots are there because she has had her identity built into her from the time she can understand it to the point where she's like, yeah, I'm really sad and that's no good and he's dumb, but I'll be okay. My security isn't wrapped up in some boy. My security isn't wrapped up in what I look like. My security isn't wrapped up in, in like academic achievement or, ac- or athletic achievement or, or the, the, the hopes and dreams of my parents or any of those kind of things. My, I am who I am because God has, has called me and made me his. You know? That's what you want. And so those roots being cultivated, a part of that is teaching them how to endure through difficult times. Um, he talks about persecution. Sometimes even being a, being a Christian is going to cost them. You know that, I know that. It's not going to cost them the same way it will costing believers in other parts of the world. But in America, there are times when it's costly to us. So don't let that catch them off guard. Prepare them for it. It's a part of tending to that soil. Last one. Verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. Cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches. They will choke the goodness of the kingdom of God right out of your life and my life. And especially the lives of of young people. 
Think about the, the battle of those two things for us as grown-ups. The cares of the world, right? The, the things that the broken world around us is focused on. Achievement, approval, um, appearances, money, power, like all these things. Like getting this American dream, this comfortable life where we never have to think about bad things or experience difficult things. That We just keep running away from difficulty and running and running and running and running. Those are, that's what the broken world who doesn't know the goodness of Jesus, that's what they're obsessed with. And I'm not pointing at them and be like, ooh, they're terrible people. It's like, no, they just don't know this Jesus who's offering them this new way of life. And we've got to take it to them. And that's a different sermon, but that's, that's just don't hear me judging those folks. I'm saying like, that's why, a part of why he hasn't come back yet. It's because our whole world is chasing all these things that are just vapors. They're empty. And we need to like, show them like the, the one. But, but when we get caught up in those very things, and I could make a list a mile long and you could add a lot to it, those things will choke out the kingdom growing in our hearts. The deceitfulness of riches. This belief that, that money will let us buy things and things will make us happy and content. We know that it's empty. And Jesus is saying, hey, like, uh, think about it. this is like first century talk right here, and it's still applicable, applicable today. He's saying those things will take, like, like the word of the kingdom grows up, and they're going to go right up along beside it, and they're going to overtake it. They will choke that out in an adult, and they will definitely choke that out in a, in a child. And you know where kids learn that? They learn it from us. They learn it from the adults in their lives. We want to try to blame it on entertainment and the internet, you know, and like all these, like, oh, no, that's Facebook teaching those kids that. And like, no. When they learn something at home, it's reinforced in their family and their, in their church. They're able to spot those things as lies. They're saying, God, look how dumb this commercial is. This commercial says if I buy this car, it's going to make me happy. That's so stupid. Don't you just, don't you just hope that your nine-year-old is like, that's just advertising, you know? <laughs> how awesome would that be? But that, isn't that what you want? You want them to be able to spot like spot the lies because they know the truth so well. I grew up at Zor Baptist. Carol Marr was the pastor, and he would circle back to this analogy all the time about the FBI. When they, stutter, when they study counterfeit money, they spend the majority of their time studying actual money, like actual U.S. dollars, not all the fakes. And the mindset is, like, if you know, if you know the real thing backwards and forwards, you can spot the, the lies. That's easy. And that's what we do. That's why we gather. That's why we study the scriptures. That's why we sing these songs and we pray these prayers. And that's why we are in these rhythms. Is because we want these kids to not have those things choked out by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Now, parents, if you're, if, you're, if you're thinking about your kids and they're these flower beds and these seeds are going into them and you're there, if you have ever tried to grow a garden of any sort... You know this is true. You cannot plant that thing and make it look all awesome and come back two months later and there's like cucumbers. There'll be cucumbers, but they will have all been eaten by worms. And all this other stuff will have grown up with it. And you're like, oh man, what happened to my beautiful garden? I thought I was going to have cucumbers. No. Gardeners go every day. And they water that soil. And they pull those weeds out. And they spray for pesticides. And they put up scarecrows and stuff like that. And they protect all those things. And it's a daily discipline for fruitfulness. 
And this sounds like an exhausting sermon to me to tell you parents. So guess what, parents? You got to do, you got to constantly ask your kids questions and help them get understanding and make sure they don't fall for this and fall for this and know what the truth is and all this kind of stuff. And I just want to encourage you, you're not doing this by yourself. You got family members in this with you. You got friends in this with you. You got a church that's in this with you. You got community group members that are in this with you. That you are not in this by yourself. But our kids are trusting us as the adults in their lives to do what's right for them. But they're trusting us to say, hey, I, I can't tend to the own heart. I need a sower. I need some farmers. They're going to get to the point where that's going to be their own responsibility. But until then, we're the ones that help them interpret the world. That's what we get to do. What a privilege it is. You know? We're a privilege that one day these little ones are going to be big ones. And they're going to be wrestling through some of these things on their own. And don't you want to be able to say, you know what? I'd, by the grace of God, I did my best to keep the weeds out and the thorns away and the bird at, 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 at a distance, and to keep just those seeds going in. And, and, and if that was just happening all the time, that the, the, the soil of their hearts is overrun with the seeds of the truth about the kingdom of God. I think Jesus has given us a, just a gift of understanding, of being able to think in this agricultural metaphor for a second. And be like, okay, I, 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 need, I need you to help me. Parents, I hope that you. I hope that this encourages you, and I hope it gives you like like something you can kind of wrap your mind around. But I hope it also makes you feel very, very dependent. I'm not a parent; it makes me feel super dependent, even just in being able to help all of you. But here, Jesus is being like, "Hey, I I died so that your kids could live this reality, that they could live fruitful lives, so that you can live fruitful lives, so that we do not have to live apart from Him, but can live with Him, and the kingdom has come near." in Jesus, and we get to be a part of it. And so wherever this fits into your life, you may have learned a lot more about yourself than about kids from what Jesus has to say here. Wherever it fits, embrace it. We're going to receive communion in just a minute, and um, the way that we do it here, let me explain this before we get stirring around too much. We, um, first of all, you don't have to be a member here to do this. Um, if you want what Jesus is offering you, like he's, Adam's going to serve it tonight, but it's really Jesus that's holding out to you his body and his blood. And so we kind of like make a line, like I don't be down here, we kind of make a line and we just take our time and just kind of, you know, there's music going on and we just kind of let people go and it's sort of a community movement that's become a little bit normal to us. But when you get to Adam, or let's say Jesus, Jesus is going to hold out to you his body and blood and he's saying, this is what you need. Like to live this out, this is what you need. I've made a way. And you'll tear the bread, and it's gluten-free, all right? You'll tear this gluten-free bread, and Adam will say, the body of Christ broken for you, that his body was torn for us, and so you'll tear that bread. He'll say, the body of Christ broken for you, and you'll dip it in the, in the juice, and he'll say, the blood of Christ poured out for you. You'll dip it in the juice, and you'll take it right there. You think about that being said over and over and over again, that there is this same Jesus is with us, inviting us into this life. And so we welcome you in our communion line. We welcome you if you want to come kneel and pray. If you just want to sing, uh, we're just going to spend a few minutes doing this together. And uh, 
I love the fact we have so many families with us. You know, maybe me and I get to take communion together as a family very often. Uh, so I want to invite you into it. So let's all stand. Let me pray for us. God, we're so grateful for all the things that you have done. And um, as much as, as you know, kids can be such a dominant force in our lives, if you can help us just for a few minutes to just make this about us and you, that you're inviting us into your life. There's enough of you for us and our kids and those who are far away. That it's your grace you hold out to us. That you have made a way into this kingdom. That you've, you have offered us deliverance out of this broken world that's chasing all these empty things. You invited us into fullness and wholeness. And there's enough of you for every one of us in this room for eternity. So as we respond in song and, and approaching your table and in prayer, however else folks want to respond, I pray that you would help us close these in these few moments together in a way that propels us out um, back into the world around us. We, uh, we love you very much. We thank you for all that you have done and invite us into you and a chance to celebrate that together tonight. We love you. We pray this all in your name. Amen.